calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is a gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, and welcome to Guiding Assets, the flagship investment podcast for CFA Institute. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and we're excited to bring you a special episode of Guiding Assets this week, as I'm actually joined in person by my two guests, Ian Robertson and Samir Samal. Both CFA charterholders, both very accomplished within and outside their fields. It's tempting to read the full bios, but I'll be brief. Ian is a vice president, director, portfolio manager, and member of the executive committee of Audlem Brown Limited a Canadian wealth manager. In addition to his day job, Ian is a PhD candidate at Oxford, where he's working on a dissertation on responsible investment. It's through his interest and work on this topic that Ian crossed paths with our second guest. Samir Samal is the CEO of Blue Ocean Global Technology and co-founder of Girl Power Talk, an organization dedicated to empowering young women. Both Ian and Samir are active advocates within the CFA universe for social literacy within financial services. And they're joining me today to talk about the future of work of our industry. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure. Now, as a backdrop to our discussion, the CFA Institute published a report this month, uh, The Future of Work in Investment Management. And I'm curious to hear today your reflections on the report in terms of how it applies to your day to day. Now, Samir, let's start with you. What do you think will be the biggest trends or changes in financial advisory and the way we serve clients over, say, the next five to 10 years? Well, I think financial advisory embracing and adapting technology that's been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic, it's now okay for you to suggest to a client meeting in video as opposed to going and meeting them in person. And I think those in-person relationships will be really focused on the relationship as opposed to standard quarterly or monthly meetings that you have with clients. And so Leveraging technology, both in terms of your interaction and how the relationship develops, but also in the way that you're communicating and being able to deliver for your clients when accounting for kind of all their goals and their investment portfolio and factors. Secondly, I think this migration we've seen over the last 20, 30 years from a focus on returns to comprehensive wealth management and financial planning how does one account for all the different factors and make sure that they're staying and keeping people on the road to financial independence or protecting their wealth? How about you, Ian? Reflecting on your role as a financial advisor, what do you see as being uh, substantially different in sort of the next five to 10 years time and how might it change? I agree with everything Samir said and, and I agree with everything in the report that was just released as well. And the pandemic really cemented and accelerated some of the changes that have been happening already. And those changes include the nature of teamwork and the nature of relationships with clients. And as the report points out, and as a previous podcast actually pointed out, uh, the one on, uh, on, on trust that you did, how has investor trust evolved? I think, you know, you covered the topic so well in that podcast. It really is about the relationship with clients and the delivery of the materials that sort of portfolio review, the portfolio construction, all these sort of more technical things, it's, it's still important. Clients want to know you're doing that. 
But this relationship that we have with clients has become, you know, somewhat a bit separated from that. And so you, we will see more and more of the trust building and relationship building a little separate from some of the report delivery or the highlights of investment performance. The second thing I would mention is that when you work in a team and the report touches on the nature of leadership within a team, but I, I want to, and that sort of T-shaped skills, but I, I do want to dwell on the fact that when you're doing hybrid work, you need to take different steps to ensure that your team is functioning at a high level because you're not seeing each other every day. And there's this tendency to become siloed in what you're doing. And uh, so you, you need to work in a, in, a, in a different way to deliver that sort of hybrid approach to, so that your team can have good work-life balance and in the office and also working from home and also meeting client needs. Let's, let's stay on that, that topic of the skills themselves, Ian. And, and financial advisory itself is going to change. What are the most important skill sets that financial advisors need today and, and how will those skills evolve over time? Are there additional skills that advisors will need in the future? So I, I think one way to say it would be additional skills. I think what we will see more, though, is that we'll see a broader intake of people into the profession, that it will draw on broader backgrounds. And we saw that in the stats, right? The, the number of, I can't remember if it was commerce degrees or business degrees, or, but sort of specific that you would think as a natural path where you go, you do your undergraduate in business and then go on to do your CFA has declined. And we're seeing a broadening out of that base. And responsible investment and this integration of ESG issues into, into portfolio analysis, sorry, into security analysis, into portfolio construction, into engagement and proxy voting, but also into the relationship with private clients. All of that is a very solid path in a slightly different direction than we had. You think back to the you know, 70s and the 80s when finance had this physics envy, right? It was a really numbers-based approach. And then you kind of had on the other side, the people that dealt with clients. And now that's becoming more integrated. Clients want to know uh, how these factors are being taken into account, how their portfolio holdings are impacting things. And, and to some extent, they want some of the holdings aligned with their morals and their values. And, uh, and so drawing from a broader set of backgrounds in social sciences, in, in arts and literature, in biology, in, in physics, <laughs> you know, we're, we're starting to see that already. It's the analytical side, and I think that's going to happen on the uh, private client side as well. Yeah, and you and you mentioned this this idea of the the T-shaped skills and and even uh, T-shaped teams is something that uh, that the report gets into there as well. Uh, is that a way that uh, investment advisors might you know be able to differentiate themselves, um, maybe within the firm itself? It, it is. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the differentiation actually, you know, when you're in a competitive industry and you see uh, great advisors from other firms, I, I have to say I have a lot of respect. Yeah, people know who's doing a good job for their clients and, and who's not, and what firms are doing a good job and what firms aren't. And I think there's lots of space in the industry for CFA charter holders, others that have a really sound foundation that had a, have a, a baseline of a code of ethics. Um, and so that T-shape, I think, you know, you need that bedrock of the financial understanding, but that depth can also come in other areas like, like biology, uh, like philosophy, uh, like um, economics. There are, there are a number of lenses Charlie Munger would call them matrices, uh, you, you know, the, through which you can view the world. And it helps you as an analyst, that's what Charlie Munger is pointing out, but it helps you as a portfolio manager as well. And so that depth, you need the base, the, the sort of CFA charter, uh, but you can also have a, a very uh, good depth of knowledge in other areas as well, and then broaden that out by reading widely and, and just keeping up in other areas. 
Yeah, because just to, to, to clarify for our listeners what a T-shaped team looks like, this is where we're seeing the broaden, you know, a more of an integrated team, not just, you know, an, an equity analyst that's picking stocks, but it's sort of a broader set of sort of the A team that comes here. You've got the technology people, you've got, you know, AI integrated into the process in some parts, you've got, you know, all of these different disciplines coming to bear on it. Any, any thoughts on that, Samir? Yeah, well, it's ironic that technology brings us close to people far away. Those listening to this podcast, our friends at CFA Institute, but it takes us away from those sitting right next to us. So more so than ever, relationships and that multiplier effect with respect to how you're fostering trust is going to be important. It's less about what is the market going to do and more about what is the hurdle rate that an investor or family needs on their balance sheet in order to maintain financial independence and security and being able to relate and connect is more so important than ever. I can think of a conversation that I had with a CEO of a Fortune 500 company earlier this week in Boston and he said that, Samir, I've been working with an investment advisor that I like, but you can just feel that I'm just another client to them. They really don't take an interest in me. They haven't made any effort to speak to my wife. I mentioned that my kids are in a position where they wanted to open accounts. And he said, you know, kind of suggested Robin Hood and said some of these other places It didn't take that on as an opportunity. And this is someone that maybe just assumes that because we've done business for a long time and he's done well, that that's good enough. And now I'm out shopping the relationship. I think it was Ian mentioned the episode we had back in April with Adrian Penta and Gary DeMoss, which is similar to, to the chat that, that the three of us are having today. And that, in that one, we talked about trust. And then one of the conclusions out of that was, was that the changes in client communications and technology post-pandemic mean that you know, in-person gatherings with clients in the future, future are going to need to be more purposeful. So you're not always going to be able to be right in front of them in the room with them. Now, Samir, you wrote an article for CFA Institute last year called The Future of Networking, Five Tips to Enhance Your Digital Presence. Can you share with us a few of those tips? The goal here being to really help our audience, those who want to build greater trust with their prospects and clients online when they, when they can't always meet them in person. Sure. Happy to provide some comments on that. And I think Eric Schmidt said it best when he said, identity will be the most valuable commodity for citizens of the future and will and it will exist primarily online and so the way that you cultivate and build relationships is for better or for worse mike forever connected with what is happening on the internet and having spoken or when i'm in front of an audience of ceos or executives in financial services or investment management I oftentimes get the question, I can see it written on people's faces, well, you know, our business is word of mouth and it's referrals. And so the internet and the digital presence doesn't matter. And I think that that has changed now when your best client that you would love to have 20 more of is talking about you at a cocktail party or behind closed doors and they refer you, you know, that potential client is not going to call you. They're likely going to look you up on Google. They're going to see what they feel, what they connect with, and is this somebody I can trust? And so when you think about digital presence, I think you know one of the most important components is, of course, LinkedIn, your professional resume. And all of the details matter, be it when you're writing a financial plan or be it when somebody's looking at the background image on your LinkedIn profile. And have you taken the time to articulate some of your accomplishments or areas of expertise that LinkedIn is where somebody makes a judgment. Ah, oh, you know, their picture's a little bit blurry. They look a little bit disheveled. That's not the person that I want to entrust with $10 million. So that first impression is important. And then, of course, 
curating, uh, you know, I would say content that is relevant. It's choice overload in today's day and age where you feel like, wow, I'm not doing enough on social media. I'm not writing enough articles. I'm not doing a podcast. I'm not on video. I think it's important to focus on quality rather than quantity so that when somebody sees an interview that Samir did with the Georgetown Alumni Association from, I think, 2013, it is still relevant for somebody getting to know me and understanding what's important and how I'm driving forward as an entrepreneur. I think those are a few of the tips that we shared in the article, but we could probably have um, you know a couple hours here talking just about digital presence for investment professionals. And it's clearly an overlooked element, one that I know CFA Institute is uh, placing increased emphasis on. Now you've both, I said off the top there, you've both been encouraging fellow investment advisors to become educated on sustainable investing and and building sustainability expertise into their advisory practices. The goal there being to better serve clients who want to invest in sustainable public or private companies or have impact through their investments. Now, CFA Institute itself has also been developing resources in this area, as you know, having recently launched its certificate in ESG investing. Now, Ian, can you talk a bit about the current course that you and Samir are delivering to societies. That's what uh, has brought Samir into town today and it gave us this opportunity to sit down together. Why did you develop it? And from observing your own business, what advantages do you see for financial advisors who have diverse teams? It's a great question. Um, and I, I have to say right off that I think CFA Institute has done, and kudos to the UK Society, a terrific job with the certificate in ESG investing. It's fantastic. But still, when I talk to fellow charter holders and other investment professionals, be it on the analytical side or on the retail side, there still is this confusion about the sort of values-based approach and the alignment of portfolios with, with client morals, which is a behavioral finance uh, thing we would learn from the CFA program, versus the ESG integration of material issues into the valuation and selection of securities and the construction of a portfolio. And with that confusion, and it's amplified by the media and you know, there, there's a sales angle to this as well. Wall Street likes to uh, deliver things that people will buy. And, uh, and so they're more than willing to lead with, you know, one screen fund or screen index fund or another. And those are meeting a, a need. And so charter holders will stand back and look at that and say, oh, but what about the efficient frontier and, you know, just delivering the best risk adjusted return. And so the course that Samir and I have developed, it's a, it's a sort of 45 to one hour, just run through uh, using the, the ESG integration and, and this sort of neoclassical, this sort of valuation and best risk adjusted return framework, but then also showing, and this is where if, if you're going to deviate from that and have a sort of morals-based alignment, a little carbon portfolio, that you just have to treat that a different way. And this is what some clients want. And so you just have a framework in the secondary markets between the ESG integration, best risk adjusted return versus other approaches that are delivering more of a, meeting more of a behavioral need, which we see every day with our clients. And it's always been that way. They go back to some of the books that uh, were written in the past uh, decades in the 70s and 80s that talk about serving your clients. And it was more of a brokerage model than a portfolio management model back then. But, you know, every every stock was selected and reviewed with the clients. And they had, you know, 10, 12, 15 stocks in their portfolio. And so there was a, a connection. The clients had, had a hand in choosing it. And we'd take a modern portfolio theory and amped it up and say, hey, you, now you've got 100 stocks. And, and, uh, and this, the ESG investing and responsible investing and align with clients' values is, t- is taking it back to more of a, an input into w- what they hold and why and what difference those companies are, are making in the world. And uh, so the little run through that Samir, Samir and I have developed, I think, just sort of 
clarifies that for, for fellow charter holders that may not have as much background and hopefully is a teaser for the certificate. So we're down to our last question today. This conversation, uh, they, they always go by so quickly. If you've listened to our podcast before, it will be familiar to you, but there's a bit of a twist today. So the question is, what was your first job in the industry? And if you could go back and take yourself for coffee on your first day, what key piece of advice would you offer yourself? Now, given that you are both charter holders and have been highly involved as volunteers for CFA Institute, I'm also interested today in hearing in your answer what the impact has been of the CFA charter to your career and what advice would you give to our younger audience about the skills that they will need for the future? We'll start with Samir. Thanks, Mike. I feel like we've got four questions in one there. So I'll, I'll do my best here with respect to answering that. My first you know, opportunity in the financial services and finance profession was with Morgan Stanley. And you come out of school and you're super excited to build relationships and at the same time study from a practical standpoint how you're going to put together uh, investment portfolios. And so some of the advice in taking myself to coffee would be um, probably along the themes of gender lens and why it's so advantageous to have women in the conversation and part of teams is to use my ears and mouth proportionately, which I think women do a lot better than men. And I think that when you listen, be it with clients, be it with others around you, you are able to learn. And that has been, I would say, a key precursor to a lot of the success and progress that I've had in my career is recognizing that when you can play into your own strengths and you can surround yourselves with others, that is diversity. That's how human beings put men on the moon. That's how they craft changes in the tax code. That's how they innovate new products. And so being thoughtful in that arena is important. I also would probably say, um, and I'm not, CFA isn't paying me to say this, but probably start the CFA program a little bit earlier. For me, I went through the CFP program, which um, is also a value, but I think uh, volunteering at CFA Institute, being associated with the topic at hand show, grading CFA exams, authoring content, and speaking to societies, you can only backfill the dots, I think Steve Jobs said. So I couldn't imagine my life today, not only in terms of relationships that I've built, ways that I've been able to give back to the profession, but also real opportunities in business and partnerships and client relationships that only would have been possible if you know I was involved with the Institute and in given my time. So I try to give without remembering and receive without forgetting. And many times people look at the CFA charters, I've accomplished that, I've checked that box, but really the opportunity is playing that forward and getting involved on a committee and giving back. And through that, you're finding like-minded people that genuinely care about the profession, but are also intelligent and ambitious in their own right for being able to progress and, and be a person of value. So the CFA Institute has certainly provided me a, a roadmap and opportunities to be able to do more with my life. And um, that's why I would say that anytime CFA Institute calls, I'm always here to give my time, energy, and thoughts, especially here today. Thanks so much. I, I think Samira has covered it really well. I would just echo that the one thing I would tell myself early in my career is to get involved. And I was fortunate that I had some uh, sort of senior CFA society folks here in Vancouver that encouraged me to get involved on a committee and that led to uh, volunteering with the local society here and then also with the Institute in Charlottesville. But I do want to say that it's more than just getting involved with the CFA society, the sort of family of CFA charter holders. It is about getting involved in general. It's about getting involved in your community. It's about volunteering on, on boards. And uh, what we bring on the retail side when we're dealing with clients is not just our knowledge about investments. It's also the way we connect with people. And we're connecting through more than just 
financial stuff. I mean, that's what they're hiring us for is to manage their finances. But it's really about connecting uh, through life and through hobbies and getting involved in the community and, and connecting with people in all kinds of different ways. So uh, I would just boil it down to get involved. I've been speaking today with Ian Robertson with Audlem Brown Limited and Samir Samal of Blue Ocean Global Technology and Girl Power Talk. Thanks so much for sharing your perspectives on the trends driving the future of work in our industry today, guys. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much. I'm Mike Wahlberg, and this has been Guiding Assets. Mm -hmm.